Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, I talked to two of the primary lawyers featured in the wildly popular and much-discussed Netflix series, Making a Murderer. Mike Grimm gives us a preview of the Vikings-Seahawks playoff game, and I chat with a Minnesotan who was invited to the White House to witness President Obama's speech on gun violence. But first, Bill Werner takes a closer look at the political ramifications of the president's executive order on gun safety. And Scott, let's start out with a couple of quick excerpts from the president's remarks. Anybody in the business of selling firearms must get a license and conduct background checks or be subject to criminal prosecutions. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it over the internet or at a gun show. It's not where you do it, but what you do. We're also expanding background checks to cover violent criminals who try to buy some of the most dangerous firearms by hiding behind trusts and corporations and various cutouts. High-profile mass shootings tend to shine a light on those few mentally unstable people who inflict harm on others, but the truth is that nearly two in three gun deaths are from suicides. So a lot of our work is to prevent people from hurting themselves. That's why we made sure that the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, <laughs> finally, uh, under the, that law, made sure that uh, treatment for mental health was covered the same as treatment for any other illness. And that's why we're going to invest $500 million to expand access to treatment across the country. It's also why we're going to ensure that federal mental health records are submitted to the background check system and remove barriers that prevent states from reporting relevant information. If we can continue to destigmatize mental health issues, get folks proper care, and fill gaps in the background check system, then we can spare more families the pain of losing a loved one to suicide. And for those in Congress who so often rush to blame mental illness for mass shootings, as a way of avoiding action on guns, here's your chance to support these efforts. Put your money where your mouth is. Needless to say, there's not a lot of middle ground on this issue between supporters and opponents. Hamlin University law professor Emeritus Joseph Olson says about the president's initiative. Lots of smoke, many mirrors, no substance. Specifically how? Well, specifically all the stuff that he is in his uh, his. Uh, press release and uh, apparently his uh, his uh, it's not an executive order because it's simply a, a restatement of what the law is now. The one thing he does is he makes it easier for um, competent, responsible citizens who can pass the background check in the FBI investigation uh, to buy uh, machine guns and suppressors in America. He made quite a bit in his remarks about the background check issue and saying that in certain situations of selling, like flea markets or websites, 
where the sales are informal and people are not registered as dealers, that that's a, a loophole that, that he's going to close through executive order. Is, is there substance there? And if so, what is your thought on that? There, there is no substance there. Uh, what he did with respect to that was simply repeat ad nauseum uh, the existing statutory and case law. And I assume that uh, he's telling the Justice Department to find appropriate cases and conduct prosecutions. Um, but that's all. I mean, he didn't put in a number. He didn't. Uh, he didn't. Say, he didn't. He couldn't change the statute because it's uh, quite detailed. Um, all he could do, essentially, was which is what he did do, was repeat it. I guess he's maybe saying that uh, that he he's going to push uh, for more thorough enforcement of it. That's a possibility. The other possibility is that he has now made what is in the statute and the case law uh, something that perhaps a great many more people will now know and understand, uh, and you know it may cause. Uh, some people to apply for licenses. It may cause other people to cease making sales, uh, and it may do nothing at all. That's Hamlin University Law Professor Emeritus Joseph Olson. On the other side, Heather Martens with the group Protect Minnesota, who applauds the president's order. It's hard for the, the gun lobby to have it both ways because they're also complaining that this is overstepping the president's authority and it violates the Second Amendment. Um, and if he says it isn't doing anything, then, you know, it's really the gun lobby not being able to find any place to land because you can't really oppose improving the enforcement of the law. Right now, there are people who are actually um, selling lots of firearms in, and still maintaining that they are private sellers. So therefore, they don't have to get a federal license to sell firearms. They don't have to do background checks. And I have seen these people at gun shows. They show up regularly. Uh, some of them have guns advertised online, and they don't have to do background checks because they claim they're not in the business. So I think that is a glaring inconsistency that we have needed to clarify and deal with for a long time. And I I applaud the president for taking care of that because we know that in Minnesota, this private seller loophole has been used to get guns to the criminal market. How big an issue is this going to be in 2016? Not, not only on the national level, because we have a presidential election, but also um, on, on the state level, because all state senators and state representatives are up for re-election. I think it's going to be a major issue in the elections this fall. Uh, I know that some of the representatives are already uh, being asked questions that make them uncomfortable about uh, why didn't you support this gun violence prevention measure. People are asking those questions and making it an issue, and that's the way we get change. Heather Martins with Protect Minnesota. So, Scott, we'll see how big a factor gun rights is when Minnesotans go to the polls this November. Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. If your walls could talk, what would they say? 
I have held the same mirror for 13 years. I have been decorated with purple dinosaurs, baseball teams, and football helmets. I have witnessed 33 Thanksgiving dinners and one wedding proposal. I have tiny notches marking the growth of three children. I have caused a learning disability. I am the reason that a fifth grader simply can't sit still. I am responsible for a five-year-old's rage. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over one million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LED. I am the reason a child has trouble hearing. If your walls could talk, what would they say? Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesotan Diane Selgren was among the guests at the White House when President Obama announced his executive action to reduce gun violence. I recently spoke with Selgren about the experience and why she was there at the White House's invitation. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure why. I just picked out of all the people that, that worked. I'm, I'm honored. But I have, for the last four years, worked on changing background checks to include mental health issues. Um, it, I started after my daughter committed suicide with a gun. She had hospitalized four times the last year of her life with severe depression and mental illness. And she was still able to pass a background check and purchase a gun. And on the 26th anniversary of her father's suicide by gun. She checked him to the smelling inn, and sometime that night, put a gun in her mouth and ended her life. And she left behind three children, and it, we were all just devastated with the loss, and, and it could have been so preventable. And I know people say to me, she could have chosen another method, but in 2013, there were 40,000 suicides, and 6,000-plus were asphyxiation, 10,000-plus were drug overdoses, over 20,000 to 23,000 suicides that year were by gun. So it is very prevalent. I mean, it's such a huge number. Out of the 88 people that die a day from uh, gun violence, 58 of them are suicide. And so often in a mass shooting, you hear that the shooter did not have a criminal record, but they did have a history of mental illness. So you could just close some of these loopholes and, and pass common-sense gun laws we can save a lot of lives. We're not going to save everyone, but we can save a lot of lives. And, I mean, eight people died of Tylenol poisoning, and we have everything sealed now. We took action. One person wears shoes on a plane where there's a bomb, and we all take our shoes off at the airport. Everything that happens, we initiate safety rules and safety regulations to prevent it from happening again, except when it comes to guns. 
And Diane, can you describe for me a little bit what it was like to be in the room with the president when he made his announcement? It seemed as though, obviously, it was a somewhat emotional speech, a charged speech from the president. What was it like in the room? It was very emotionally charged. Everyone everyone was on the, just so excited. And I, I know for myself, you know, I think when you're in a moment like that, you're just so focused on what he's saying. And I was sitting on the edge of my seat, and when he started talking about the mental health issues, it just brought me to immediate tears because I just worked so hard for this. And to have it starting to be realized is is amazing to me. And there wasn't anyone that left that room that was completely excited. I heard from a friend of mine who was sitting over by Gabby Gifford, and he said she was so excited. She was almost sleeping up and down in her seat. And, of course, walking through the White House, just like you're walking through all this history and then realizing that you're also there making history was, was awesome. As you would imagine would happen in a situation like this with the president making an executive order, there are some folks that are saying he's overstepping his bounds, some folks that are saying he's not going far enough with what he's proposing here. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I don't think anybody's, you're not going to get everybody happy on what's going on. But I feel that he's taking the steps he needs to take, and, and you know, sometimes... It, it, he's doing obviously what he knows will get through right now, and and for that I'm I'm extremely grateful and proud of him. But I think you're always going to have ones that are going to be the fear mongers that are going to tell people that he's trying to take away their Second Amendment rights, that he's trying to take guns away from responsible gun owners, and that's not the case. I've been working on this for four years, and yes, there are extreme people on my side of the fence also that want to just take all guns away, but that's not what we're working towards. What we're working towards is is making it difficult for those who should not have a gun. More Minnesota Matters after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. 
USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Okay, technically, this isn't a Minnesota matter. Much of the story of Stephen Avery, as detailed in the Netflix documentary Making a Murderer, takes place in neighboring Wisconsin. But since the 10-episode series debuted last month, the show and Avery's stranger-than-fiction story have become national news. Avery, after spending 18 years in prison for rape, was exonerated by DNA evidence and released. Two years later, as he was bringing a $36 million law lawsuit against the county, the former district attorney and sheriff who helped put him away, he and his nephew, Brendan Dassey, became the prime suspects in the murder of a young woman. Are Avery and Dassey guilty? Was Avery framed by law enforcement? Did the criminal justice system succeed or fail? The series raises these compelling questions and many more. I recently spoke with Avery's defense attorney, Dean Strang, and prosecutor, Ken Kratz. Just a warning, there are spoilers ahead. We'll start with Dean Strang. Do you think that the movie is a fair representation of what happened to Stephen Avery and what happened in in Wisconsin? Yes, uh, I do. It's a distillation, obviously, of both the Avery and the Dassey trials in 2007. But I think it it does a very good job of capturing the earlier 1985 wrongful conviction and then the strongest evidence the state had in the 2007 murder prosecution and the strongest points the defense made and posing, most importantly to me, bigger questions about systemic weaknesses and flaws in our system of criminal justice that can be viewed through the lens of of these two compelling stories of individual cases. So I I thought the filmmakers really did achieve something of broader importance than these two cases, as compelling as these two cases are. Prosecutor Ken Kratz has quite a different take on the series. My very first reaction to it was it was clearly not a documentary at all. This is a defense advocacy piece. It's uh, produced by and for uh, Stephen Avery, uh, by his uh, defense team and those that uh, worked with him. It provides uh, one side of the case, provides their theory about planted evidence and about uh, a conspiracy that led to Mr. Avery's uh, wrongful conviction. I would disagree that they're entitled to use the term um, documentary. In fact, I have Uh, called the use of that term irresponsible. If you are going to present something as the facts, in other words, as both sides of a case, uh, then you should make sure that it includes items that are inconsistent with your ultimate conclusion or your ultimate theory that you'd like the 
audience to reach, obviously. In this case, uh, the uh, facts that they uh, pick and choose, uh, I've called it cherry-picking, concludes and um, supports uh, the planting evidence theory. Uh, They intentionally withheld evidence from the viewers that was presented at the jury trial that, in my opinion, and apparently in the opinion of the jury, dispelled the defense of planting. All the attention from the series has also had a large and varied impact on the attorneys. Strang says... It's been disorienting and unexpected. Um, um, I'm, I'm probably over a thousand, I'm sure I'm over a thousand emails from people I don't know around the world who have reached out to me for one reason or another. And I anticipated some media interest, so I was prepared, um, at least to a large degree, for that. I did not anticipate um, the personal interest. And from Prosecutor Kratz's perspective... Let me explain um, uh, the kinds of things that uh, that are happening, Scott. I, I have no uh, objection to individuals thinking that Stephen Avery is innocent uh, and voicing that opinion. I don't even have a problem if people want to characterize me uh, as uh, having done something that contributed to that or even about my character. What I do object to is that there seems to be no limit to the either public shaming that happens uh, from Internet-based groups uh, or uh, as a collective, that is, the community feels entitled to affect either me personally or my business for the result of a trial from from 10 years ago. I've gotten threats of, of harm to myself, to my staff, to my family, and to my friends, and those kinds of things are, are uncalled for. That shows me that the Internet group or collective that feels entitled to not only express that opinion, but try to um, create a, a consequence or a sanction, if you will, as a result of something that they've watched on television, I think is uh, absolutely aberrant. To find out more about the case and what the series left out, you can hear my full interviews with Strang and Kratz at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. We'll be right back after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This weekend, the Minnesota Vikings host an NFL playoff game for the first time since the 2009-10 season. Seattle comes to town to take on the Purple at TCF Bank Stadium at noon Sunday. The weather forecast calling for a kickoff temperature of 2 degrees. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm had a chance this week to get some insight from a man who knows a thing or two about the Minnesota Vikings. Scott, Paul Allen is the excitable hometown radio voice of the hometown NFL team. And as you'd guess... He's raring to go on Sunday. Cold weather at all. Who, if either team, PA, does the cold weather benefit? Not exactly sure about the cold, Mike. You know, the the Vikings have more players from the south than do the Seattle Seahawks. And the Vikings practiced outdoors on Wednesday, but the temperature was like 32 degrees and the wind chill was not significant. From a from a game-playing standpoint, given Seattle's passing game is markedly more prolific than that of the Minnesota Vikings, I think maybe that could come back to the pack a little bit. But I think ball security is probably going to be in vogue on this chilly Sunday. Does that help with uh, Adrian Peterson, and uh, can he do something maybe he didn't do the last time against the Seahawks team? Well, Seattle's defense is the NFL's um, best scoring defense for consecutive years, giving up 17.5 points per game this year. In Seattle's last five road games, Seattle has allowed a grand total of 34 points, including zero offensive touchdowns to the Minnesota Vikings and uh, one offensive touchdown to Arizona with Carson Palmer in the game. So, long story longer, Seattle rush defense is by far number one in the NFL. It's going to be a staunch test for Peterson, specifically without run-blocking tight end Rhett Ellison, lost for the season in the uh, Northern Division clinching game last Sunday night at Lambeau Field. But, um, you know, I think the Vikings will have some uh, tricks up their proverbial sleeves to try to get the running game going. Not exactly sure they're going to work, but if they do, it should be a tightly contested game. With this weather, PA, are you a Windows open radio booth or a Windows closed radio booth? Got to go Windows open. I mean, TCF Bank Stadium has been such a fantastic place to call games for the last two years. You know that better than anybody. And um, with the wind chill, even at minus 7, minus 10, minus 13, got to go with the windows open to feel the vibe. Yeah, I, I do too. I We have not been this cold. We had, Gargi and I had to go through a couple in uh, in November, the last couple of years, maybe in the teens, but nothing, they think by the third quarter this thing could be 10 below zero which is uh, chilly would this be as cold as game as you've worked i think in uh 2002 my first season calling vikings games in the season's penultimate game either the second to last or the third to last we were at lambeau field and i don't exactly remember what the temperature was but the wind chill was minus eight ish or minus 12 ish Mm. And I think my fingers thawed out in 2008. <laughs> it took that long. Um, any concerns with Teddy Bridgewater? First playoff start, he admitted last week he was nervous a little bit to start that game at Lambeau. How much maybe can that help him from a week ago, that experience now into this Sunday? Fair question. You know, I don't know if concern would be the right word because he started 28 games. And, um, and, and overall, Teddy has done enough to help this team become an 11-win team. You know, I think for Bridgewater, he just has to recognize he can't go out of body trying to do too much in the ultimate team game. Now, on the other side of it, he has to be less conservative than maybe he's been in some other big spots. You know, I think the the biggest problem with Bridgewater this year, Mike, has been when they have dialed up deep plays and, and they look like they're going to go for touchdowns. And there have been a good five or six this year. 
Teddy has missed on almost all of them. And and we had one in the in the Sunday night game at Lambeau Field. I think it was the third play of the game. Jarek McKinnon, a running back, was lined up against a linebacker wide right. And he just streaked down the field and blew right by Jake Ryan, the rookie from Michigan. And it should have been a touchdown. And Teddy overthrew him. Can't do that against Seattle. Got to make that pass for sure. Mike Zimmer, head coach, year two. How impressed have you been with what he's done in two seasons now? Incredibly impressed. I I like how he runs the balance of being a player's coach, also being a father figure to a lot of these guys, but also being a very authoritative figure. You know, the the thing that that really impresses me most about Mike, outside of the, the elite schemes he presents defensively, is he works so hard and puts so much time into it. There's an inherent guilt feeling with the coaching staff and or the players where if they don't work as hard as him they feel like they're letting down dad and and that's really really difficult to get accomplished he's um he's as well respected as any head coach with whom i've worked uh through mike tice brad childress and leslie frazier very good at what he does very ever-changing and very creative defensively and uh the 2013 defense here statistically was the worst in the history of the franchise 2014 it jumped up significantly this year it got even better and um in the sunday game against seattle you know uh, when these teams met a month ago in seattle won 38-7 the vikings were down four defensive starters right. linval joseph anthony barr harrison smith and andrew sandejo they'll all be in uniform this weekend mike Last question for you. How far can this team go? If the Minnesota Vikings beat the Seattle Seahawks, they have as good a chance as anybody in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. The next step would be at Glendale, Arizona against the Cardinals. And while I can understand the Cardinals being favored in that game by six, seven, eight, or maybe even more points, I also remember a Thursday night after playing Seattle when Minnesota went to Glendale and gave the Cardinals everything they wanted, had the ball at the end of the game with an opportunity to win before a strip sack. So if you beat the Seattle Seahawks, you have a legitimate chance to get to the Super Bowl. Very good. Sounds exciting. Enjoy the call on Sunday. Scott, as you can hear, PA's ready for a big one on Sunday at TCF Bank Stadium. I think we all are, Mike. Thank you for that report. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next time for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.